but so my name is Derek Rev D, pastor of the Bridge in Simcoe. And um, first and foremost, I'd like to say thank you to everybody here. And I'll tell you why. Uh, we're in our third year of planting the Bridge in Simcoe. And we're doing it a little bit different. And we focus on small groups and discipleship. But two years ago, I met with Mark. I hadn't met Mark before. And I invited him to come out to one of our groups. And so he started attending our, the groups that meet in our home. We call them life groups. And through that time up until now, we've been privileged to journey with a lot of the family here from Kingsway. And we've been privileged to uh, encourage, challenge, grow with, right, celebrate some joys, be there for the lows. It's just been an awesome experience. And since that time, uh, the Kingsway family has now decided to make the bridge one of the ministries they uh, partner with. So as a church planter and now partnering ministry uh, to Kingsway, I say thank you very much for your support. Uh, and then somebody last night said, well, how do we know what's going on? Uh, good point. Um, I'm just going to say if you're on Facebook, that's sort of where we are. Uh, all of our notifications, upcoming events and all that happen on our Facebook page called The Bridge Movement. If you can't remember that, just follow the link on the Kingsway website, The Bridge Movement, take you to my website, we'll take you to the Facebook page. Like it and follow us from there. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and now we're going to get into, Mark and I have discussed at length my passion. So my passion would be discipleship and small groups. My passion to watch people grow, be challenged, right, discipled, become a disciple maker. And today we're going to be discussing a bunch of those topics. And it is my hope that today you leave here convinced, if you're not discipling or being a disciple maker, that you have a conviction to be a disciple maker and a disciple, and to get connected into a small group somehow. It's, uh, you have a strategy for that. That's, that's my hope that uh, you walk away with that. So, um, and you say, well, why is that important? Well, as we grow and mature in Christ, we understand that the circles Christ has placed us in are those for us to impact, okay? So it's, we, ha we have a task to do. But for, before we get into any of these topics, we should first uh, ask a couple questions. Uh, what is a disciple? What does, uh, who can be a disciple? What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple maker look like? And what is the best environment to disciple in? Like, those are all great questions. But how many here have entertained those questions before? Anybody? Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think, you know, have you thought about that? What does that mean for me to be a disciple? What, or be a disciple maker? Because up until five years ago, I would have told you, if you say, what's a disciple look like? I would have said the dudes that followed Jesus. And if you said, who was a disciple maker? I would have said Jesus, right? So I'm thinking, well, I wonder what people think about this. So I asked a couple people, I said, what's a disciple look like to you? And they said, <laughs> uh, I had to make sure I would get the wording right, people wearing togas, walking around, following an old guy sporting a beard. <laughs> that's, that's what a... That was their understanding of what a disciple was. And, and here we go, we get this, uh, this, this imagery, and I think it was the toga that sort of sold the imagery because beards have come back in. But uh, uh, it was one of these things where it's like, this is something that has been done, has been done. This isn't something that is being done. And I went, oh, that's, that's where we're at because people just don't see that's happening anymore. I go, okay, well, let's, let's sort of... Let's sort of work through this a little bit. Um, we tend to only view the term disciple as something to do with religion as per the Bible, because nobody's ever heard about disciples outside of the Bible, maybe. 
right? We read the Bible, we see the disciples. So I said, well, let's get the definition of a disciple. Let's see, well, let's start with that. There we go. Someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits, that's important, himself, herself to the discipline, teaching of that leader or way. Now, the middle section says basically the word disciple is uh, pretty much found in the Gospels in the book of Acts with some exceptions in Isaiah. But at the bottom it says wherever there is a teacher and those being those taught, the idea of discipleship is present. Okay, that gives you a pretty good idea of what a disciple is. But disciples were present before Jesus' time. Anybody heard of Socrates? All right. Uh, so he was born in 469, 470 BCE to 399 BCE, before Common Era. era. Uh, I call it before Christ. He was a Greek philosopher and was considered the father of Western philosophy. Now, Plato was his most famous student. We probably ever heard, we've heard of him. And he would teach Aristotle who would then tutor Alexander the Great. And as Alexander the Great took over the known world, uh, his philosophy spread throughout Alexander's conquest. Now, Socrates had a following of young men who, because of his example and teachings, would go on to abandon their early aspirations of whatever it was that they thought they wanted to do and devote themselves to philosophy. And so, uh, just a little language note. I don't like to bring original language things back in, but this is relatively easy uh, Philo, which is love, and Sophia, which is the Greek word for wisdom, you literally have the love of wisdom, philosophy, okay? So that's a side note. But every major philosophical school mentioned by uh, the ancient writers following Socrates' death was founded by one of his followers. So we're going to say one of his disciples, okay? They were taught... As we see in the previous stated, they went on to develop schools to teach others what, themse- what themselves had been taught, right? So we see that disciples carry on a teaching. I'm sure everyone's going, yeah, I know how this is all working together now, right? I was like, hang, hang there with me. From the biblical context, we see that disciples are transformed people, or how I should say disciples are transforming people. We are individuals that know that Our way of life isn't so great, but we have a long way to go to mature and grow in the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. So that transformation happens. But that transformation doesn't happen by sitting still, right? It it requires an effort on our part. And and as the transformation affects every aspect of our lives, right? So uh, how we live, give, use our time, what we need, what we read, what we study, right? It's all... It all works its way together. Now, you say Jesus had disciples. Um, okay, we, uh, we see that uh, Socrates had disciples. But in Luke 5.33, it says that John the Baptist had disciples. So here again, we see teacher versus student. Now, you might go, well, what are the characteristics of a disciple or disciple maker? Well, let's take a look here for a second. The characteristics of a disciple should be up on one of the, here we go, um, eager to learn. Really, if you're not eager to learn, then it's not going to happen. Willing to learn, I guess you could sort of put those together, but there's two different levels. Uh, the characteristic recognizes the value of seeking knowledge from someone, which is directly connected to being humble, right? So if you're not humble and understanding that uh, you don't know everything, you're going to have a hard time learning, right? So being humble is important. And, and just, to, just on a side note, I've met people that said, I don't need to be discipled. 
I don't, I don't need what you're doing. And, and so that's a flag for me. That's like, you probably need that the most. Okay? Um, intentional, how you spend your time, and disciplined, how to uh, stick with that strategy, right? You have to be disciplined in order to uh, be intentional. So you're intentional with your time, and then you're disciplined to honor that intentionality. Does that make sense? Okay, the next slide says characteristics of a disciple maker. Uh, compassionate. You have to have compassion for people, right? Um, benevolent, which is given freely. Uh, altruistic, which is selfless. Oh, we see humble again. Because the person discipling knows that they don't know everything. So they know that they can be taught as well, which is good. So disciple and disciple maker. Let's put it this way. When I'm in an environment where I get a chance to disciple and mentor people, I usually get taught more than what the people coming to the groups or the one-on-one discipling is. Uh, I don't, that's, that was a secret up until a couple minutes ago. But um, that's one, I love it because iron sharpens iron, right? Uh, and they have to be willing. So you see a lot of overlap there between uh, being a characteristic of a disciple and a disciple maker, which means that's how closely uh, connected they are. You can't be one without being the other, right? So I asked the same people about that gave me the response about the toga and the dude with the beard. I said, what would be the setting or atmosphere that discipling would be most found in? And so they said classroom. They said one-on-one mentoring, uh, small groups and Bible studies, right? I said, okay, well, that, those, are, those are great atmospheres to encourage discipling in one-on-one. One-on-one in group mentoring, like that's all discipleship, right? You're teaching and you're learning. You're both teaching and learning. So wherever that is, it could be anywhere. Just to give you a couple examples. So while you, now I've, I've spoken here before, and many know that the bridge steps off of the Great Commission, right? So Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and which, which talks about discipleship. But before we get into that, I want to say it's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28 because we can't do it on our own. That co-part of that mission we need help from Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, and we need to work with each other, right? So that co-mission, cooperate. But anyways, Matthew 28, 18, 20 states. And now Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, these instructions weren't just given to the disciples. These were given to us too. And at the type of time of Christ's ascension, I've got a little clip here that I pulled out of one of my books that I was reading in preparation. And it said... uh, At the time of his ascension, Christ commissioned the first disciples to make disciples of all nations, which we just read. Uh, Hence, the term disciple is also used in the book of Acts to describe believers and those who confess. So we said, okay, the 12 disciples for Jesus, yeah, we call them disciples. But in the book of Acts, it says those people who weren't the 12 were also called disciples, okay? So, and and you can find that in chapter 6 of Acts in verse 1, 2, 7, chapter 9, 36, and 11, 26. But... Though they have not been directly called by Christ himself, they're talking about those that are addressed as the disciples in the book of Acts. They are called by Christ's spirit through the message delivered by the first disciples, right? 
So disciples called later are not in any sense inferior to the first disciples, even though they are less, less, less privileged. What does that mean? That means less privileged means they didn't get an encounter with Jesus one-on-one. They're not inferior to the first disciples. They were less privileged because they didn't meet him personally. But Jesus said, go make to his disciples, go out, make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded. And then they said, through that same spirit, they went on to these people and said, we're gonna teach you all this and you need to make disciples too. It was just part of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. There was no if, and, or buts. That was part of being a follower of Jesus, was to make disciples. I, we don't often talk about uh, the 70 in Luke 10. The 70, Jesus sends out uh, 70 disciples as well. I just want to give you an idea. When Jesus sent out his disciples, we're going to look at a couple of brief things here. This is based on Luke 10. I don't have it up here, so if you want to make a note and look at it later, by all means. But Luke 10, first thing was, Jesus instructed his disciples to go. Go. Just go. Right? Don't just, oh, should I, shouldn't I, should I? Just do it. Go. Right? Go and evangelize. Uh, and then they said, be weary, because you're going to be like lambs amongst wolves. So be weary, right? Because it's not the popular choice to be, uh, be an evangelist. There's going to be a lot of pushback. No problem. Okay. Uh, live by faith, right? Seventy were to carry no extra provisions, right? Live by faith. Uh, he said, be focused in Luke 10, verse 4. They were to go out and be focused, you know, focus on what he wanted them to do, which was the important mission of evangelism. He also said, extend your blessing. Bless the houses that, that welcome you. Be content. They were not to seek better uh, accommodations. They were be content with because they're representing Christ. It's not like, oh, I'm going to stay at this home. They received me. We're going to stay here. But that house looks better and the accommodations look better. We're going to go. That wouldn't represent Christ well, right? So be content. He said, uh, receive your due. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Be flexible, Luke 10, uh, 7 and 8, all right? So where they were ever to eat, uh, they weren't to be finicky. (laughs) Uh, Heal the sick, Luke uh, 10, verse 9, and uh, proclaim the kingdom. And last and foremost, he goes, you know what? And uh, he says, you could probably experience some rejection as well. That's going to happen, right? We don't like to think about that part because it starts hurting stuff like our feelings. Start to get attached to people and we get rejected. We're like, well, I can't just see this. What the heck? Right? God's so apparent to me, but he's not apparent to you. Well, we don't want anything to do with it. Okay, you're going to be rejected. It's going to happen. So we can see some of the things that the disciples experienced. And the reason why I brought that up is because that's the stuff that we can experience. We're supposed to be focused. Share the message, not to get sidetracked. Don't be finicky, don't be picky, be content. All that stuff still applies for us. But there's also another thing, too, uh, that's sort of related to that last rejection part. John 6, verse 66. I'll never forget this verse. It talks about some people walking away from Jesus' teaching. Okay? I had one of the, our, an individual in one of our first life groups when we first planted a church. It was her passive-aggressive way of telling me she didn't want to, she wasn't going to 
continue coming to our groups. And we saw some amazing growth in this. She just said, and some walked away. Luke John 6, 66. Right? People are going to walk away. That's going to happen. But why do we do this? Why do we... Why do we invest in people? Why do we share the gospel message? Why is it so important to encourage other people to do that? A little sidetrack bunny trail here. I had the privilege the other week of having a couple in my house that I'm going to be marrying at the end of September. And I said to them, I was sitting down on my couch, and I said, okay, so, you know, have you guys heard the gospel message before? I go, what's that? I said, you know, Christmas, you know, birth of Jesus, Easter, not so good for Jesus, right? And they said, I haven't heard anything like that. What's... I was privileged to be able to share the gospel message with them. I don't know, they could probably recite it in their sleep. That's how many times I said it that night. But people, there are individuals in their own backyards that have never heard, and, and I want you to hear this, of the hope-giving, life-filling, awesome-loving, grace-blanketing Jesus. I will. People, there are individuals in their own backyards that have never heard of the hope-giving, life-filling, awesome-loving, grace-blanketing Jesus. In a day and age where technology is, it's everywhere, information is everywhere except for that information, right? People haven't heard, I get good, the hair stands up on my arms. It sort of gets my blood going a little bit that we haven't done a great job at going, hey, this is the gospel message. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. Jesus died on the cross for you, right? You need to hear this. There's more than just paying bills and working through life. There's more than vacations. There's more than new cars. That stuff's gonna rot and rust and memories and all that stuff. That's just this stuff. We're talking about eternity, right? That's where we need to start conveying people. There's people in our own backyards. We're sending people all the way across the, the, the world to go and evangelize and share the gospel message when in Norfolk County or Holman County or wherever it is in the world, there's people in our own backyards that haven't heard of it, period. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says the following, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as some are in the habit of, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How to encourage one another. How to share the gospel message. I don't think anybody's going to argue the day drawing near. The day's been drawing near of the end of the world. Over 2,000 years now it's been coming, right? We don't know when the end of the world's going to be. But I don't think anybody would argue with me that the world's not in great shape right now. We see a lot of things changing. We see a lot of rights being taken away. I just watched a video of a, I forget who posted it, we're on social media, of a steeple being taken off a church because it offended somebody that was threatened to sue him. And the university caved. And so we're going to take it down. A crane was going to come and cut it off. Right? We need to share that message of hope even more because we don't know when that time is going to be. But we know that every day it's closer to it. We are to sharpen each other. As well, right? Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So how do we do this? How do we teach, disciple, learn, encourage, challenge? Well, I'd suggest there's at least two ways. I'm going to talk about two ways. I'm going to talk about small groups and one-on-one meeting. And here's the importance of them. This next slide we're going to have up is called a Bloom's Learning Triangle. 
Okay, now, uh, we had this problem last night, and I didn't fix it, so my apologies. On the bottom that you can't see, it says this triangle's legit, right? So this is, no, this is, you can Google this, the Bloom's Learning Triangle. On the right, it says the average retention rate after 24 hours, okay? So what this is, is how you communicate to people, the percentages on the side are the amount that, of people that will retain what's been taught using these communication practices. So lecturing, after 24 hours, 5% of the people that have heard this lecture, according to this, only 5% will remember what was said. So that's encouraging for me, right? <laughs> um, so then we go, well, uh, reading, 10% will remember after 24 hours. And then, you know, in pastoral ministry, they're like, use PowerPoint, use PowerPoint. Well, that was to do audiovisual here. So audiovisual, if you use PowerPoint, you might get 20% of the people remembering what you've talked about after 24 hours. Uh, demonstration, 30%. Okay, now, small groups and one-on-one -on -one discipleship focuses on the bottom three. Discussion group, practice by doing and teach others. Discussion group, small groups, that's what we do. There's a lot of guys, a lot of people in here that's been part of our small groups. 50% retention rate after 24 hours. Bam. That's why small groups are important, because you interact with it. Practice by doing. This happens in our small groups as well. 75%, you can't see that, but it says 75% retention rate after 24 hours. And as much as my small group disliked me at the time for challenging them to lead a small group in our group, teach others 90% retention rate. This is why we do small groups. Uh, you can just fast forward past the next slide. It's not important. We talked about it last night, but it didn't, we can just, but there's, there's more to Bloom's theory. You can just Google it and you'll see, see what it is. But that's why we do small groups, because of the retention rates. And so also, it wouldn't be fair if I didn't at least share with you some of my findings or conclusions because of these small groups. But we've been doing this for about three years, and what have we observed? Where there's growth, there's often resistance, okay? Acts 14 talks about the trials and tribulations that's gonna happen on a Christian walk. It's gonna happen, right? Complacency is of no concern to the enemy. So if you're not growing, he does not care. Right? He's like, oh, you're not growing. Cool. Devil, that, devil is just like, oh, that's, uh, don't worry about him. Don't worry about her. Don't worry about them. Don't, whatever. They're not practicing their faith. But we know where there's growth, there's going to be resistance. All right? And so I, last night, I, st I almost started singing the song. First time ever I almost sang a song in public. And then somebody took over for me. But I was like, they made a song about this. It's called, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. Right? Hide it under a bush bushel? Right. That bushel can go back to the farmer, and then we can lift that light up and say, this, I am a follower of Jesus. I don't hide this, right? But you need encouragement to do that, which, which will take me on to the next one. Encouragement. Through my time with small groups, this is probably the one thing that I can narrow down uh, to the most, one of the most important things. People will do amazing things if they're encouraged. If they know that there's somebody on their side that is there to encourage them, they'll do amazing things. They'll do far more than what they're ever capable of. 
Some people haven't grown up in a family where encouragement was the norm. Well, they don't know what encouragement can do. But let me tell you something. Just encouraging you and you and you and say, you know what? Thank you for coming to church today. Thank you for learning. Thank you for putting yourself out there. Thank you for taking that step. Thank you for creating that discipline. Thank you. You can do it. I know you can do it. And you can keep doing it. And I want to be there to support you while you're doing it. That type of encouragement, people will grow at a rate that you You've never thought possible. So encouragement is huge. It's why we need community. We need to be in community. You can't say, well, I don't do the church thing because, uh, you know, if you're not connected to a small group and to being discipled, you need to be in the body of Christ somehow to be encouraged. So it's important. Um, through small groups, you meet needs, right? In small groups, you hear needs. Uh, you, you can meet those needs. You can meet them through prayer. You can meet them tangible items, whatever. You meet the needs because you're in close enough community to go, okay, this person's going through this trouble. I'm going to do this or whatever. It's important in small groups. Accountability. People hate accountability because what happens? When we ask people to grow, we ask them to stretch themselves. Stretching is painful and pain is avoided. That's just our natural reaction, right? Um, and so when they avoid stuff, we go, oh, how did you do with that challenge? And they go, oh, I didn't really do it. How can I encourage you to do it? What do you need me to help you with? And we train so others can train. Small group is like a training ground. We get to learn more about Jesus and his teachings in the Bible so we can teach others to teach others. That's how that works. So rather than me keep going through here talking about all these small groups, I'm going to invite Blaine to come up. Blaine has been uh, in our small groups for two years uh, and he's also embarked on a one-on-one discipleship program with me. And I just thought uh, we'd get him up here. I'm going to ask him a few questions. So I'll give you a break from my voice. And then uh, you can see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see what Blaine has to say. Uh, hopefully, uh, it'll, it'll be encouragement for you, which I know it will. We, that's, uh, anyways, Blaine, how did we meet and what prompted? Five questions. How did we, we meet? And what prompted you to start coming out to our life groups at my home? Um, we met through the, uh, I want to say pushiness of the mark, but it was through his persistence uh, every week when I was coming here to join a small group and get more out of it. And I met you the first night. Uh, I finally followed the urging of the Holy Spirit and followed it to your place where we met and continued our relationship from there. I'm not sure if anyone picked up on that, but per- persistence is important, right? <laughs> it was the persistence of Mark to get him out to the small groups. Um, so p- keep that in the back of your mind. Okay, great. So what impact <clears throat> has attending these groups had on you? Uh, the small groups, the impact has been great because every week you meet with people, um, you discuss your highs and lows of the week, you discuss where you see God working in your life, and... Um, it just gives you an opportunity to share and get encouraged by all the others who are going through the same problems that you are. That you didn't know that they were going through the same problems, no, right? No, there's no, it's all about me. I keep telling my wife. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because we do these small groups and we get talking about something. And it's like everybody that'll be sitting around and go, like, I felt the exact same way. I have the same issue. But nobody's ever wanted to say anything. And then we, we, we encourage vulnerability in these small groups. And the next thing you know, Oh, yeah, you're wrestling with the same thing. Me too. Like, why is that? And then it starts a great conversation. So 
Um, awesome. And it is about you, Lane. I know. It's just good. You're doing good. It's not about her, no matter what she says. <laughs> Uh, what impact has being discipled one-on-one -on -one had on you? Discipleship has been awesome for me. Um, I've taken in a lot of information over the last six months that we've been doing this, um, and every little bit of information has helped because uh, I'm growing and I'm learning about Jesus and what he can do for us. Um, it's helped keep me calm, helped me lose my addictions. I have addictions to alcohol and drugs, which were easy to give up compared to the deep-rooted addictions of pain and self-loathing. And um, just reading about Christ and watching sermons on subjects, it's helped me to um, get through those phases of my life and to be a little more confident about what goes on in my life. Right. Very good. Yeah. We talk on subjects that come up. We do some deep research, what the Bible says on it. That's our authority. Right? But it starts a conversation. And what you hear is intentionality and discipline. That's why it's important. Blaine's committed to investing in himself by, invest and by doing this stuff, and then the discipline to keep doing it. Some weeks are better than others. We get that. Everybody gets that. But it's been through intentionality and discipline that uh, we've seen some uh, amazing growth. And so what has this process cost you? And this isn't a financial question. Um, it's cost me a lot, a lot of negativity in my life, which is a great cost. Uh, Christ gave up his life for us, which is a great cost for us, but it's cost, it's allowed me to give up the things that hurt me and, and deeply and, and caused me to treat others bad. Um, it's brought to light the stuff that there's a better way to live and there's, um, there's more, there's more desire to continue this route because the, the joy is euphoric, and, and I just want to continue that growth so that I have that continued joy and peace in my heart. Right. Would it be safe to say when you started two years ago in our groups, yeah. you were a relatively angry person? Would you say that? That's mild. <laughs> That's mild. I don't think this is, so we stretch, right? So this is a stretch for Blaine to come up here outside of his comfort zone to do this. And now... We see something totally different. We see how God can transform, right? We talked about transformation. And last question, what is something you would say to someone who isn't in a life group or being discipled? When you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to make this move, I would suggest you jump on it. Um, I keep telling Derek that I know I'm being trained to t talk to people about Christ and and the future, but the amazing things that happen in my life right now, um, the changes that I'm going through are truly amazing to me and blow my mind. So if you get the opportunity to follow Christ with a deep heart, I suggest you jump on it right away. All right. Thank you, Blaine. Thank you. Big hand for Blaine. been truly amazed by the work that the Lord's been doing in Blaine's life. Um, and I just wanted to touch on one thing here. Usually people think about, um, you know, discipleship and it can only happen with age limits, right? So I'm a little bit younger than Blaine. And Blaine was humble enough to go, you know what, let's see, let's do this. The, there's an age difference there, obviously. It doesn't matter. I get discipled sometimes by people half my age. And sometimes I get to disciple people half my age, right? So I just don't let age factor into what that looks like for you. 
But uh, this is, do I have the secret recipe for personal growth? Not a chance. Does the bridge, is that the only way to do small groups? No, it's, that's not the only way. But I can tell you there's a few things that we can tell you about this process, and we're coming to a close here. First and foremost, it must glorify God. That's the umbrella. It's all ministry has to happen under. Right? Colossians 3, 16, 17, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? Whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus and with gratitude, giving thanks. So that's, that's the umbrella. Second, encourage one another to grow in their faith and love with Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore, uh, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. You know, the Lord brought a phrase to my head throughout the last, throughout the church plant of the bridge, and it was that which edifies the body. That's what builds up the body. That's what we have to be concerned about. You need to be motivated by love, care, concern, be compassionate, be patient. Why? Because you know what? You're going to see the ugliness in people's lives when you get into this journey. You're either going to be the one sharing that ugliness or you're going to be the ears hearing that ugliness. And this is where we get a chance to love those people, right? And say, it's okay. There's ugliness in my life too. Life is not perfect. Never has been, never will be until we hit our destination. We need, uh, we need to be willing to be honest, challenge others, journey with others. But most important, you need to be humble. The funny thing about being humble, as soon as you say you're humble, you're no longer humble, right? Because you're going to learn much more than you ever know. And this is serious stuff, and this is awesome stuff. To watch people grow in their relationship with God, to watch me witness Blaine growing, it's just an amazing. You see how amazing God is and how faithful he is. If you seek him, he will give back. That's how that works. Now, we're going to watch. Anybody heard of Penn and Teller before? And if you've been in our small groups, you've seen this video, so bear with me. Um, Penn and Teller are magicians and illusionists that perform in Las Vegas. Uh, Penn, the, Penn is a self-professing atheist. Um, Anyways, he, there's a video clip on here, and he's going to talk about proselytizing, how someone proselytized. Proselytizing is evangelism, right? So um, when you hear proselytizing, you go evangelism. And we're going we're gonna to play a video from him. Uh, I'll just move this just out of the area. And I want you to take a look at it, and I want you to just think for a minute what that means. Or here's God using an atheist um, to send home a message. Can we play that video, please? I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. He had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. 
you said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. You said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. So I think uh, I think the guy that gave him the the message or the the Bible the, the track was a good guy. It seemed to go over and over. Um, but you know what? So there's here's here's something we're taking someone that doesn't believe in Jesus and he's saying you know what I don't respect anybody that doesn't proselytize because if you know that there's a heaven and hell and there's eternal life and yet you don't share that with anybody how much do you have to hate that person. And. 
because it's going to be socially awkward, well, let me tell you what's going to be even more awkward is maybe the eternal state. Our job is to create that invitation to tell people of that hope, life-giving, grace-blanketing Jesus. That's, that's our job to do. And you know what? If people reject that, which we've already said that's going to happen. Jesus said people are going to reject you. You go, okay, thanks. Uh, I've, I've given you the opportunity. Maybe something will happen. He goes, I know there is no God. You know what? He's denying. If you look at his body language and the way he's thinking, he thinks before. There's something more going on in there, but he has gone so public to say that he's such an atheist. He would look, he wouldn't be deemed credible if he changed his mind. In fact, it would be the opposite in the Christian uh, world and, and that he would be such an advocate, right? But somebody came up to him and said, you know, here, this is for you, which prompted this video, which prompts us to go, why aren't we sharing the love of Jesus? So I'm almost done here. Anybody familiar with Francis Chan? Francis Chan, great writer, Google him if you want. Uh, he goes, not making disciples is a serious offense to Jesus. Because, that's what he said, and I'm going to say that discipleship is the original multiplication tool, okay? We have all these different things, how to bring people into your church, how to have this series, how to have this program, this will track people. You know what? You know what the number one thing is to, to, to build the, the body of Christ and the kingdom is to share your faith. That's it. If we did that, we wouldn't need all this other stuff, not to draw them in anyway. You know what, being trained is how we've always gotten better at things. In industry, trade, sports, education. If you're a machinist, you just come out of school, you have an internship. Someone's gonna train you how to be better at what you're doing. If you're an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, there's internships there, there's education, right? Uh, if you're a sports player, you're gonna be trained and honed to be the best that you can. A life for Jesus is no different but people just don't take that next step. And so, I am gonna challenge everybody here today. Put a strategy together and do it to help you grow in your faith, to become that disciple, to become a disciple maker. Right? That's a strategy we need to think about. However Kingsway can help, however I can help, the bridge can help, whatever. What is that strategy that you're putting together? Write that strategy down and then act on that strategy because that's the most important thing that we can do to represent Christ. Let us pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just come to you today and we just thank you so much for your love, forgiveness, mercy, grace. Lord, when we think about how much you love us and, and, and how much you bless us, we're not talking stuff, Lord. We're talking your love. You're with us. You grant us wisdom. James 1.5, ask for wisdom. We grant it in abundance for everybody that seeks it with the right motivation. Lord, we ask and pray that today you convict everybody here and those listening online of the steps they need to take to build that relationship with you, to grow in that maturity with you, to grow in that relationship. Lord, and we thank you for patience. I'm guilty of this as well, Lord. Sometimes I procrastinate. And I thank you for your patience for me to get my button gear, take that step for you. And I ask and pray uh, for your forgiveness for that. But then inside me, give me that conviction that uh, 
unquenchable thirst to seek you and your knowledge and to best represent you. And do that for everybody here, Lord. We just ask a blessing on everybody here, and we ask a work on everybody here in their hearts and minds that you may show them the way that you want them to, do, to move forward, uh, break down those barriers that's preventing them from moving forward or to seeking you or to deal with those areas that are that obstacle because you know, we know, Lord, that you can take away those obstacles. You can give that peace like we've seen in Blaine. You can, you can give that inner peace that just radiates out of everything from the inside. And when we focus on our heart and relationship with you, everything else seems to make sense. It doesn't mean that life gets easier, but we're at peace with it because we know that you're in control. And we just thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done for us and continue to do. And Lord, we just... We just ask and pray that you continue to guide our steps and be patient with us. Please arrange introductions, align conversations, Lord. We want to glorify you. We want to represent you, and we want to build your kingdom. Thank you for everything. Please be with everybody here this week, Lord, and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.